Hey, Mark. Hey. Do you want to get disbarred? <laughs> no. Well, then don't give legal advice on this podcast, all right? I'm not. And neither am I. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. We're back again. We are back again. We are recovering from our Super Bowl party hangovers. Yeah, what a game. What a phenomenal game. Oh, as, an, as an Eagles... Well, hello, dogs. Oh, our dogs really agree, too. Yeah, uh, as an Eagles fan, go Eagles. That was just super exciting. Yeah, and as a New England fan, which I'm not, You're but, totally you know, not. go Patriots. Yeah. Um, how about that Tom Brady? Yeah. Uh, and that Nick Foles? Yeah. They, they, and, you know, I just want to congratulate the team that won. Yes, they, me too. They played very well. team that won. Yeah, and um, a lot of condolences to the fans of the team that lost. Yeah, it sucks. That Terrible. Was, sorry, it's a yeah. super bummer. The commercials were all very good, though. Yeah. I especially like the one for that one product that we buy. Uh, beer. Beer, yes. <laughs> That was a good. It was a good beer commercial. It was. There are plenty of good car commercials too. We have no idea what we're talking about. No, because we? we're recording this before the Super Bowl. Yeah. So our attempt at timeliness is probably laughable. But maybe we had folks going for about a two second. seconds. Yeah. It'll be the last laugh they have all episode. I'm sure. But I'm hoping that by the time you hear this, we'll be. You'll be knowing that the Eagles won, and that's it. Yeah. And I don't really care what else happens. Right. <laughs> so should we uh quit talking about um football that has not yet happened and talk about like work and law and how the two intersect we, i think it's a little more fun than work and law okay tell us something and fun it has nothing to do with football make it better than that opening please okay i have a case to talk about today let's hear it um this is one that has some language English language? Uh, English language, but four-letter word language. So, some French. <laughs> so, potentially. Okay. Potentially some French and some potentially... Um, it's, a, it's a hostile work environment kind of case. Uh, so, it's got some very adult discussion in it. So, if you were so, giving this a movie-style rating? R. R? Okay. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah. If R. you're under 16, you should probably have the accompaniment of an adult. Yes. So, and if you are an adult and you have like your four-year-old in the back seat, yeah, you might want to turn over to Raffi for the next. Yeah, and you know. if you are an adult and you have particular sensitivities to explicit, more explicit kind of sexual talk, which you know some do, then this is not the segment for you. Understood. Okay. So, if you're still listening, you've been warned. All right. Today we have a case. And this case is about Jennifer and Dan. Uh-oh. Those two again. You know Jennifer and Dan? No. I know a Jennifer and I know several Dans. I know plenty of both. Yeah, I know plenty of both, too. Just troublemakers, all of them. Probably don't picture them when we talk about this case. I'm going to... Okay, that might be wise advice. <laughs> yeah. Take those images out of your head. Okay. okay. Um, this case is from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, I believe the case is out of Nevada. Uh-oh. 
uh, and this is a 2013 case. And the one important thing to note before I start going through the facts, because I'm pulling these facts from the court's opinion, uh, is that this is on appeal for a motion for summary judgment. Okay. So that means that the facts as presented are the plaintiff's facts. And for purposes of the motion, as you know, Dennis, but so our listeners also know, the court and us, for purposes of a summary judgment motion, are accepting these facts as true. Right. Even and though the defendant probably has facts that counteract of these Of course, facts. they always do. Okay. But just so you know, so we're going to read these facts, but these are the plaintiff's facts. Right. Okay. And for the purposes of this podcast, gospel truth. Absolutely. All right. So Jennifer began working for a company called West Coast Contractors of Nevada in February 2008. She was hired on as a project manager assistant under Dan, who was, unsurprisingly, a project manager. Wow. Early on... What uh, are the odds? What are the odds? At least they title their positions consistently. Yeah, that's that's a good start. Early on, Dan uh, referred to Jennifer's duties as girly work. Ooh. Okay. But he quickly apologized. Oh, okay. Good on him. She did not complain about this. But somehow, and the facts are unclear as to how, Mario, the company president, heard about this and said he would speak to Dan about it. Oh, okay. Mario also said that Dan had had problems with prior employees and Jennifer should come to him if Dan did anything else that was inappropriate. Six weeks later, Dan called Jennifer and dressed her down for telling Mario about what he had said. So apparently Mario had talked to him Mm. and took took a while, I guess. But uh, he called and yelled at her and she maintained that she'd said nothing. but he told her that he'd, quote, been through this shit before, and he said, it's just not happening again. <laughs> okay, Dan. So, fast forward, in May, about four months later, Jennifer began working once a week in a trailer at a construction site with a gentleman, and I use that term loosely, named Patrick, who also reported to Dan. Okay. And Patrick started making some offensive comments. So is Patrick a peer with Jennifer, not well, a boss? They both report to Dan. Whether that puts them okay. on the same level, we don't on the know. hierarchy, yes. But in terms of whether their position is the same level. Okay. Right. But think of whatever happens here as co-worker. Will do. As opposed to manager. Gotcha. Okay. He announced that a large-breasted woman, whom he called Double D, would be at West Coast's company barbecue. At the barbecue, when the woman arrived, Dan and Patrick remarked again on the woman's chest and asked Jennifer if she was intimidated by it. Patrick then made some additional comments. This is where we get into a bit more offensive kinds of comments. He asked Jennifer about tampons and asked about whether they receive pleasure from using them. Wow. Yeah, that's a new one for me. That's a new one for me, too. Uh, Yeah, uh... And then he commented uh, that women are lucky because they get to have multiple orgasms. This is at the company barbecue. This is at the company barbecue. And I'm just going to put my own personal commentary in there that that strikes me as unlikely with Patrick or Dan. (laughs) 
Just going to throw that out there. But anyway. Their pillow talk may not be the most. No, I'm not impressed. No. Uh, Each time that Patrick made these comments, Jennifer demanded that he stop doing it. Good for Jennifer. Now, Dan participated in the double D comment, but the other comments he did witness. And when they were made, he just smiled or chuckled. He did not actively participate, but he did smile and chuckle. Okay. Jennifer, again, reported these incidents to Mario, who said that he would talk to them and that it would stop. Okay. But it didn't. Yeah, I was about to guess. Around that time, when Jennifer saw Dan, he would frequently, more than once, numerous occasions, instruct her to clean the trailer while wearing a French maid's costume. (laughs) I I like... Because that's usually part of the construction company uniform. I I mean, these these guys. All right. So (laughs) in early July, Jennifer told Mario that Patrick had said, fuck you to her. That might be the French part during a disagreement. And that when she had asked Dan to intervene, he just smiled. Then on July 14th. Okay. Back to our French theme. Bastille Day. Mario did something very unusual. Uh, He hired a court reporter to make a record while he questioned Jennifer, Dan, and Patrick separately. Whoa. A court reporter? I've never heard of that. Like, just on, like, an internal investigation. Super weird. Super weird. But it sounds like he says and does all the right things. It it sounds to me like he's taken it seriously, which is commendable. So, during his interview with Dan... Uh, Mario warned him and said that while he was, quote, an incredible, valuable employee, he would have to take more drastic actions, such as termination, if he failed to act the next time a similar comment was made. Hmm, good. Dan, who's just a great guy, responded that he was, quote, sick of this and claimed that he's the victim because one more word could get him in trouble or fired. Mario advised him to only talk about work with Jennifer. Might be a good idea, Dan. Mario left for vacation a few days later. Great timing. And Dan, predictably, started treating Jennifer differently from how he had before. Different from how he was previously retaliating against her? Or is this a new well, form of... I think I think maybe the, the retaliation word might be a difficult one because he was, he was looking the other way uh, and had only okay. really made one comment. Yeah. And the earliest comment that he made, he apologized for. Right. Okay. But he ne- there's no fact here up until now, what I'm about to tell you, oh. where he was criticizing her work performance or anything like that. Okay. But, so we should be patient and listen. But now, that's exactly what happened. So whereas previously he had been praising her work frequently, now he started criticizing it and picking at it. He belittled her in front of subcontractors, and he cursed at her. Oh. Mario returned on July 29th. That same morning, Dan criticized Jennifer for having told a subcontractor that the West Coast employees would not be able to come to his social event that he was inviting them to because they'd all be at Dan's daughter's wedding. Now, the facts here are a little weird because the next sentence doesn't quite make sense to me, but Dan says that, but maybe it's just because of Dan... Dan says that he was offended at her using his daughter's wedding as an excuse for people to not go to the subcontractor's party and said fuck you to her three times while he was reprimanding her. Hmm. 
Jennifer said, I'm tired of this crap, and left the room. She was supposed to attend a meeting right after that that was about to start, but she didn't. Mario heard that Jennifer was upset when she skipped the meeting. He called Dan and got Dan's version of events. Then Jennifer went to Mario and had a list of everything that had happened since he left for a vacation. Before she could start, however, Mario asked her about this, the subcontractor's party invitation. Jennifer told him how Dan had been treating her, so she kind of ignored the question from the way the facts are presented here, yeah. and gave some examples of menial tasks that he'd asked her to do, stuff related to filing uh, or other things you know, that he'd asked her to do that he'd never previously asked her to do. And then... Well, and to be fair, he had previously asked her to clean in a French maid's outfit. True. So... True. His prior track record is already not the best. But now he's specifically telling her, as his boss, work-related, to do these things that she'd never been responsible for before. Gotcha. And she refused. And Uh when she refused, as she tells it, he would smirk at Patrick. Now... She complained to Mario and now accused Mario of not doing enough to get a handle on all of this. Mario responded that he was tired of listening to all this and that obviously she had a problem getting along with Dan and it would be best if she got her personal items and left. Uh Uh-oh. Mario and two others escorted her from the building. At her deposition, Jennifer testified that she was fired. Mario admitted that she was escorted from the premises, but said that she had quit. She she has brought claims for a hostile work environment, sexual harassment, Hmm. and retaliatory discharge for complaining of harassment. So, your honor, Judge Dennis. I find you in contempt. Judge Single D. (laughs) Oh, that was bad. That was really bad. Edit that out. Yeah, let's edit that out. (laughs) On this motion for summary judgment, what say you? I say... Let's start with the hostile work environment claim. Yeah, the hostile work environment claim. She's got to prove that that is because of sex. And simply saying fuck you to somebody in a disciplinary meeting with nothing more is not necessarily because of sex. But I think that there's probably enough noise around the... reaching back an episode penumbra here that you could probably make a pretty good because of sex argument here. But let's let, but let's talk harassment. So what's the, what are the, like, what are the, what are the buzzwords for harassment? It needs to be sufficiently severe and pervasive or pervasive. Well, it's a sliding scale. It's a sliding scale, but you need a little bit of both. Right. Um, Well, it can be very not severe, but happen every day. Well, right. That's the sliding scale. Or it could be very severe and happen only once. Right. This was not severe enough that one of these incidents would rise to that level. But I think that there's probably enough of them over time that I think a court would deny the motion. It also has to be, and this is where I was getting at before, it needs to be because of sex. Right. Well, or some we have, other we protected have some comments category here that are but, very much yeah based on sex. That being said, they're being spoken about somebody else. Some of them. Yeah. And the, so let's let's walk through them. But all right. So we have one comment about her doing girly work that was apologized for right up front. Yeah. I wouldn't call that severe, certainly, and it's I, not pervasive. I mean, it's only one, but it's so it could be part of a 
discussion of pervasiveness, but it's just one comment. True. Okay. Then we have two comments, three comments made at a party about somebody else. So, or one of them about somebody else's physique. Okay. That's right. Sexual characteristics related to that physique, but not related to Jennifer's physique. No. Right. Then, well, there was the question about and, whether she was intimidated by that true, other person's chest, true, which I true, think is directed fair, at Jennifer. Fair. Okay. And then two other comments that are about women in general. Here's how I think it's more than that. And right, well, I th- but let's, let's continue through the facts just before oh, we get there. Okay. And then we have the French maid comment. Yeah. Which hap- and all of this happened over about a seven or eight, eight month period. But wait, there's more. And here, here, here's what I was getting at is that I think it all goes back to the girly work comment. Because the very work relationship was was begun by Dan by referring to what she does as girly work. Then later, when Dan gets on her case about her performance and starts assigning tasks and, you know, makes vulgar comments during performance type discussions, I think courts may end up tying all of those back to say, like, are those instances of harassment of a sexual, not not like sexual sexual, but of a sex-based nature because Dan views all of this as girly work and has made it clear that he does so. But we don't have that fact. We, we don't need, we do have that fact. He called it girly work and then he had all of these performance discussions with her where he was belittling the job that she was doing, which he did previously called girly work. What about the employer's responsibility to act? Well, our friend Mario was put on notice. He has a responsibility to, you know, investigate and take prompt and effective remedial action The trouble here is that Dan is a supervisor. And so if Dan actually does make material changes in the terms and conditions of employment, Mario and the company are going to be held responsible for that. Agreed. Do you think that these comments sufficiently altered the terms and conditions of her employment? I think most courts would say that they do. See, this is where I totally disagree. Yeah, well... Because I don't, I've spread so many cases that require so much more than this, where they grant summary judgment on far worse than this, that I don't think courts would. Yeah, but you began this by saying Ninth Circuit. Well, let's just <laughs> let's just stop the the uh, suspense here. Yeah, the court said no way. This is not sexual harassment. Really? Oh wow! Right. So I'll read you a couple of quotes. Yeah, please do. Having considered the evidence as a whole, we conclude that Jennifer did not make out, I'm putting the first names in because that's how we've been talking about it, it's not an exact quote, did not make out a prima facie case of sexual harassment because evidence will not support a finding that the offensive sexual conduct was so severe or pervasive that it altered the condition of her employment and created a work environment that a reasonable person would consider hostile or abusive. Wow. Although we certainly do not condone Patrick's crude and defensive remarks, We note that Jennifer went to his workplace only once a week for three months and often did not stay an entire day. 
Other than his references to the French maid's costume, Patrick reportedly made offensive sexual remarks to Jennifer on only about four occasions. Dan joined Patrick in the double D comments, but otherwise made no sexual remarks to Jennifer, and he quickly apologized for his girly work remark, which she did not deem serious enough to complain about. The harassment was not physical, and Jennifer did not say that her work suffered because of it. Wow. Okay. So that's pretty resoundingly no. Yeah, I'm surprised. And, and the what I did not tell you uh, is that on uh, uh, initial, uh, uh, sorry, the district court yeah. uh, granted summary judgment on both of these claims. Oh, okay. So this is on appeal by Jennifer. Right. And they're upholding the district court's decision on that. Gotcha. Okay. Now, interesting. what, what about the retaliation claim? <sighs> well, based on the facts as alleged, it sounded to me like Jennifer got fired. I don't see how they get in there that Jennifer quit. I mean, certainly when facts are in dispute and you get to trial, you can make your own record on that and a jury will have to decide. But so why is that important? Because to have a retaliation claim, you have to have a... A, a, an actual employment action that takes place. And here that would be the discharge. She's saying she was fired in retaliation for her complaints. You've got Dan saying, I'm, or actually it was Mario who started out being the good guy and turns into the bad guy at the end of the story. He's saying he's sick of this stuff, doesn't want to hear it anymore. And Jennifer needs to get her right. stuff and go. And remembering this is all Jennifer's story. I'm sure Mario, right. I'm sure Mario has a different story. story, but based on Jennifer's story, he clearly connected her termination to her complaint. And it's undisputed. Well, clearly there's disputed, but on those facts, that's a termination. I don't I don't know how anyone else would take Okay, so assuming I'm sick a- of hearing you, it's time for you to get your stuff and get out of here. So assuming it's a termination, then what? Um I would deny the summary judgment on the retaliation claim. Okay. In this case are matching the court's decision. Okay. Some, yeah, okay. So the court said, even though we have held that the evidence did not support Jennifer's sexual harassment claim, we think that it could support a reasonable belief that she was, sorry, that she was subjected to actionable sexual harassment and that she had such a belief. In such circumstances, her complaints about that conduct would be protected activity. Right. We conclude that the record evidence was sufficient to raise a material question of fact as to whether Jennifer's complaints, which we've already said could be protected activity, were a but-for cause of her termination. That makes total sense. Right? And we have to accept for purposes of this that she was terminated, right? Right. Not that it was a constructive discharge because we accept her version of the facts is true. Right. For purposes of this motion. So what this means, just in, from a procedural standpoint, is the court's saying she has enough facts to be able to put this in front of a jury. Totally. We're not going to just dismiss her claim. Right. Now, Mario and Dan can come in there and say, like, oh, here's our side of the story. Right. But tell that to a jury. But, That's not something yeah. that the court hears at summary judgment. Correct. Interesting case. Interesting case. And I think it highlights for me what, what we see all the time as employment lawyers. And that is harassment cases tend to be weak. Retaliation cases tend to be strong. Yes. Absolutely. So this is another example where, you know, surprise to me, I was given, you know, a little more plaintiff orientation to the Ninth Circuit than perhaps this case deserved. But also, let me me point out one other factor that might have been 
swimming around in your head consciously or not. Yeah. What's happened over the last six months? Me too. Me too. Could also be shifting our assessments. Oh, that's true. Because I read this not knowing what the outcome was. I skipped the first paragraph, so I didn't see it. Yeah. And I played that game with myself. And I eventually came to the same conclusion that the court did, but I was a lot closer on it. Yeah. And I think that three or four years ago, I wouldn't have been. I think three or four years yeah, ago, I would have said, that maybe. it doesn't matter what circuit this is. That's a no on the sexual harassment hmm. claim. Right? And It'll yeah, be interesting was, to see if courts start to go in that direction, given the events of the last several right? months here. Or... Though. Or not, as the current administration is stacking courts with judges that are not going to be very open to these sorts of claims. True. And I think there's so many positions open and a lot of court, yeah. federal court positions being filled with judges that are far right of center that are not going to be open to these kinds of claims. They're going to be very skeptical. Yeah, good point. So we'll see. We'll it's, see. It's an interesting crossroads that we're at right now. Um, politically and socially. And I think that sexual harassment cases are going to get caught up from a legal perspective right in the middle of it all. I think you're right. Good point. Cool. Thanks, Mark. And on that note, why don't we take a break? We'll be right back. Hey, Mark. What up, Dennis? Do you ever give money to NPR? I can't say that I have. Why not? Because I listen to NPR plenty, but... If I pay the money, I still have to listen to the pledge drive. And those it, pledge drives are like torture. I I hate, like, I, it makes me not listen to NPR anymore. I know. So we're not going to do that to our listeners, are we? Go to www.patreon.com slash HWE. And if you do that, we'll promise never a pledge drive. Ever. Our promise to you. Bye. All right. Well, that was a nice break. It was indeed. So, Mark, you've dealt with a few FEMLA cases in your career, right? I guess, yeah. One or two. <laughs> How many times have you had somebody go out on a FEMLA leave? That's Family Medical Leave Act leave. Or it's one of its many state law equivalents. And then post some stupid stuff on Facebook that would make you question whether they're really out on a legitimate medical leave. You know, funny, fewer than you would think because I hear about them all the time. Yeah. In my own personal experience, a few. And I've had a few of those too. And more often than not, it's somebody who's all upset because they see somebody looking like they're having fun on Facebook, but they know they're out on FEMLA leave. Usually the person who is having to cover that other person's work <laughs> usually, while they're out on leave, Yes, right? usually yeah. that. Well, there's a case here that I found that okay. actually dives into that issue. It's uh, Jones v. Gulf Coast Healthcare, and we'll post a link up on the website for anybody who wants to read it. But the basic gist of it is this. This guy goes out on an FMLA leave, and while he is out on leave, he... And by the way, he's having... He's out on his, his FEMLA for rotator cuff surgery. Okay. While he's out on leave, he takes two visits to Bush Gardens... Oh. And takes a trip to the island of, I think it's just pronounced St. Martin or San Martin. I'm not sure. It's I, in the Caribbean. Right. Well, isn't St. Martin, like, there's two sides of it? And one's Dutch and one's... Is that the one? French, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I, I've been to one... Well, have I been? I think I've been to one side, oh, okay. but it's split. I don't know which But side the point is. is, it's an island, it's and an I'm island. sure it's lovely. It's tropical. 
And like everybody in this day and age, he posted pictures of himself doing those things on Facebook. Sure. And in this day and age, what do you think happened with those pictures on Facebook? Well, somebody from work saw them. And gave them to his boss and said, look, our, our buddy is uh, not so much on FEMLA because, look, he's at the beach. He's at Bush Gardens. Okay. Accordingly, his employer brought him back and fired his butt. Okay. Just just for being on vacation when he's supposed to be out on FEMLA? Oh, that was part of it. I mean, did, did the pictures of him showing himself studying, be like, did he have, like, a bandage uh, on his shoulder? Where, the, the, the case does not say. Yeah, no, I... And I don't know how obvious your rotator bandaging is from rotator cuff surgery. That's actually not the right question to ask him <laughs> from a legal perspective. Well, and what happened here is he he actually went out on his FEMLA leave and then extended it by an additional 30 days. So it sounds like a particularly long recovery time. Okay. Um, but what I found interesting is the employer's justification for firing him. Oh, well, I just assumed it, it was because he was gallivanting around at Bush Gardens and on Well, that was part Saint of it. Martin. But the other part of it is that they had a policy that said, don't post anything on social media that your coworkers might see and that might hurt their morale. And they told this guy that his picture taking and posting on Facebook of himself having fun was hurting his coworkers' morale. No. Yes. So, so let me let me just raise a question. Yeah. Um, you're more of a labor lawyer than I am. Yeah. I wouldn't generally advise my clients that it's okay to have a policy like that from perhaps a Section Seven NLRA National Labor Relations Act point of view. I would advise the same exact thing. Okay. The, That's the issue spotting the board. Me. The board, at least during the Obama administration, the board was all over employers' social media policies because your vacation photos of yourself while supposedly on FEMLA leave might harm morale, but so too could your post about why you need a union in the workplace or your post about why the, you know, wet floor is an unsafe safety hazard, which are activities protected by Section 7 of the NLRA. And yeah, the board's going to be all over you for that. So I found that like this is this is a federal court case, and they they could right. care less about, about Section Seven. Right. That's up to the board, so they didn't get into it. But the labor lawyer in me was just like you know, smoke coming out of my ears. <laughs> what if, what if that wasn't part of it? What if the social media policy was not in the case? So what if it wasn't part of it? And here's how the court came down. The court said this guy, the plaintiff, he had two claims. One was interference with his FEMLA rights. The second was retaliation for having taken FEMLA. And on the first one, the court threw out his claim. It turns out he had exhausted his FEMLA rights and then took an additional 30 days of leave. Uh, So he wasn't protected anymore. They said, yeah, you're not protected under FEMLA anymore for that leave. So we don't care. And no ADA analysis. Keep in mind, it's just rotator cuff surgery. So it's not... It's not really a disability. It, he didn't He didn't make an not, ADA claim. Court didn't go there, but yeah, it would have been okay. a weak claim. So that, anyway. that fact would shift my assessment as well. Yeah. yeah. But they did find in his favor on his FEMLA retaliation claim 
Be- and in part, they found that the history of enforcement of that policy was dubious at best. It seems uh. like they fished it out just for the purposes of firing this guy. And that the standards expressed in the policy were so nebulous and, and so ill-defined that there was really no way to determine that, you know, this was a clear-cut violation of that policy such to require so this, a termination. So this was on Silly Member happens to live near the ski slope. Right next to Aspen. Yes. And maybe that family member who they care for, you know, 20 hours a day is sleeping right now and they're going to get a couple runs in. Right. Or maybe maybe the family member loves to ski and they're depressed and that's what the family medical issue is. Yeah. And going out on the ski slope is part of you are trying to help them. And maybe the employee himself is depressed and finds skiing to be exercise that's good to help alleviate depression. That being said... It's not always that. It's not always that. So if sometimes you to know that the person was out for surgery knee surgery and, and they're skiing and they're running a marathon, that's a problem. That's probably yeah. But don't just automatically assume because somebody's gotten out of their hospital bed that they're now violating their femla. Interesting. In this case, the plaintiff actually brought in evidence from his physical therapist that said what he was doing was fine. And he showed that while he was at Bush Gardens, he wasn't like riding the roller coaster with his arms raised in the air. He was walking around taking pictures of people riding the roller coaster with their arms in the air. And, you know, when he was on St. Thomas, he was just laying on the beach. So it really did sound to me like there was nothing to suggest that his activities were inconsistent with his medical needs. But how dare he ruin his co-worker's oh, morale. <laughs> who would say, look at look at Fred, who's out. His name wasn't Fred; it was Rod. Look at Rod, who's you know laying on the beach while I'm here suffering, toiling away. Doing which makes me job. think, like under that policy, nobody could ever post vacation photos on Facebook, right? Or unless they were like smart, which is what you know most people should do, and not be too close with your co-workers. Always on good media. advice. So, so hard, hard, hard to do that in this day and age. It's hard, but it's totally possible. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was cool case. A cool case. We haven't had too much femla on this podcast. No, thank God. Femla is usually just you know painfully <laughs> awful, but uh, every now and then it gets kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take a break, and we'll be right back with a user listener submitted, submitted story. story. A user. user. We have users. I yeah. don't think so. We have listeners. Yeah. Most of our. Users or abusers. and Yeah. We um, love you all. We love you all. Something else to edit out right after this break. Okay, we're back. And remember last week how we had drug dealing at the burger joint? Yeah. We've got another burger joint case. Okay. Same burger joint. Well, we don't... I, I mean... Well, I, I believe that the person who sent this to us same was listener, over, same listener submission, different. I mean, it's a chain of burger joints, is my impression. Though it would tell, it would make for a better story maybe if they were all the same location. That's true, but my impression is they're not. So let's. But in my imagination, they are. Okay. So this one's titled "Payroll Gymnastics." I get a call from Mary, who alleges GM Johnny, not their real names 
fired her for not wanting to work on Thanksgiving Day when she clearly told him she had already committed to a family event. And on that same conversation, she tells me he has been working her off the clock for some time. Oh, that's fair. Um, or yeah. unfair. Or unlawful. Un- unlawful fair. I, the HR person, I talked to the district manager, and in effect, Johnny admits to having worked Mary off the clock, but claims that he had nothing to do with the termination. He fired, or that that had nothing to do with the termination. He fired her because she was scheduled to work on Thanksgiving Day and just didn't show up. Per company policy, a no-call, no-show was immediate termination. I have a conversation with Johnny, and he tells me he had an agreement with Mary, and he was paying her from his own pocket. He didn't pay her from the till or any other company money. I explained to him that constitutes payroll fraud and that because they were both in on it, they could both have legal troubles. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I asked him why he would work anybody off the clock and pay with his own money. I can't spare money to pay somebody reporting to me from my own pocket, so I'm curious. Yeah. His answer that labor targets are too tough to meet and his district manager didn't allow overtime. Wow. Can I, can I just interject for a moment Please. at my prior job? Yeah. That was my worst nightmare. That was because we had tight labor yeah. and, you know, I, w- I was always worried about, about what off the clock stuff was going on that I didn't know about and couldn't, oh, yeah. couldn't know about. So that's a very real concern, especially in multi-unit yes. uh, service based with with heavy labor, with totally. lots of labor and and you know low margins. I, yeah. So I hear I hear his frustration in that. Oh, as totally. A manager, and also the HR manager's fear. Yeah, uh, both super legit. common. I mean, it's not legit to pay people to. No, no, work no. All the, the clock, concerns are just legit. to be clear. The actions are no. not legit. Anyway, the story continues. I talked to Mary and tell her that, in fact, Johnny admitted to working her off the clock and let her know that he claims that they had an agreement, which she admits to. So I tell her she's conspiring with Johnny to commit payroll fraud, and that is equivalent to stealing, so her termination stands. But on the bright side, I will have her hours paid through the proper channels and ask her how many hours she thinks she worked off the clock. She claims about 200 and that this little deal has been going on for months. Only 200 I would have said two million. Yeah. She aimed low. (laughs) I asked Johnny how many hours he worked Mary off the clock. He says about 15 to 20 hours in total and that it was only two or three weeks max. Mm, I ought to... There's a little bit of a gap. Small, small discrepancy (laughs) there. A factor of 10. But I audit Mary's clock in, clock out records and go back on payroll records for months and settle on 20 hours, which I commuted to Mary. She begrudgingly accepts the amount. When the check is ready, I let her know she can stop by the office and pick it up. It was company policy to have employees sign a release stating that we paid them all hours we owed them and that they would not sue or hold the company liable in regards to this matter. Mary refuses to sign and refuses to take the check. So, Mark, what do you think they could have done differently here? I mean, I think that they probably could have done a better job of making sure, right, getting training out there, making sure that managers knew not to do this. True. Um, that's, would, that's the first place that I would try to attack. Would you have like withheld the check if they won't sign that statement saying, no. yeah, I'd have given them the check anyway? Yeah, no, because you know he's admitted, she's admitted that right now yeah. where you could get into a, a squabble over this is over the number of hours. Yeah. But... The fact that they've negotiated to what they believe is 
between the two yeah. of them an equitable number. If you've got under the law, you owe that employee money for all time work. Right. And if you've got a pretty good sense of how much time you think that they've worked, even if the employee ends up disagreeing, pay them for that. Because then at least you've got a case and a defense. If this goes to trial and the employee is like, you know, they offered me this money but made me sign this thing. That's evidence that you already figured out that you owe them at least 20 hours of work. You're withholding that 20 hours is unlawful. They're going to get fees, penalties, court costs, yeah. all that stuff. So, I mean, so. better to come to that arrangement and pay it, right? If you can't, that is something the Department of Labor will negotiate on. True. Right. So I've had cases where almost that exact same situation comes up. They say, you know, employee says, oh, there were 500 hours of unpaid. And we say, no, actually, it was more like 10. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, call we, it, we agree it's probably not 500, but we also know that it's more than 10. Call it 50. Call and it 50 and call it. We're good. good. Well, it takes a while to talk them down to that. Yeah. But you can negotiate that once you have that. Right. That charge uh, filed effectively. But if you've withheld and you don't make it right, the DOL is not going to look favorably upon you whatsoever. Not at all. Anyway, despite our like completely trashing the end of the story, uh, <laughs> which we didn't mean to trash, but I, it was a, a learning opportunity. We totally appreciate the story. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's and it's something that happens all the time. All and the time. And it's extraordinarily difficult to deal with. There's oh. no, there is no remedy there's nothing not remedy, nothing right. bulletproof there's nothing that you can do as an employer if somebody's going to claim that you haven't paid them for all their hours to get out of it every time no there's literally nothing you can do yeah right and sometimes you, you're just going to have to pay up yeah and then you can fire people for violating policy yes which is always fun <laughs> so on that note um let's wrap things up but before we go um mark if Listeners have other great stories. Where should they send them? Stories at hwepodcast.com. Please send them. Please. We're also just a couple of days away from the end of our swag sale. So if you would like a t-shirt or mug, uh, now's the time to buy it. Uh, that can be found where, Dennis? Teespring.com slash hwemug or slash hwet. T-E-E, depending on which product. And if people want to tweet at us. At HWE Podcast. Okay. And if they they want to like us on Facebook. Uh, Yeah, just type in hostile work environment. You'll you'll find it. And push that thumbs up-y thing. Yeah, like our Facebook page. That would be cool. That would be cool. And put little hearts and smileys next to everything we post. Yeah, no, that would be cool. We should probably post more. We probably should, yeah. Okay. We're on it. And on that note, thanks. And um, come back next week. We'll have more. Bye. Bye.